Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen. It's Rebecca Minkoff. Today's guest is Aaron Gallagher, a founding partner of Haverback Consulting, working with brave companies to tackle equity for all, differently and authentically. She is one of the PR News 2019 Top Women in PR honoree, and as a personal friend, I can tell you this woman is always positive, she always has good things to say, and she practices what she preaches, lifting up women all the time, everywhere. So take a listen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. It's been a long time coming, but, uh, you know, COVID threw a loop in uh, lots of things. (laughs) It's true, but we saw each other right before everything locked down. So I guess that was a nice send off in New York. Oh my God. Uh, My husband and I refer to that as another lifetime ago. It was, it was, it was a nice time. It was really nice to be around people and touch them and hug them (laughs) one day again soon, hopefully. Oh my gosh. So I'd love for you to start sort of before you launched Have Her Back. Like what were you doing? What what was exciting to you and, and what made you want to launch it? And what is it? Yeah. We'll, get, we'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. So before Have Her Back, I was working at a PR agency for 10 years and had been doing marketing and communications, you know, my whole career up to that point. And I was working for a big holding company in Republic Group. And I absolutely always was working towards making sure that equity was a part of what we were doing and that women were centered in so much of the, the way that we were talking about what needed to happen in the world. But I didn't realize, I think, how much that was going to become my full life um, when it was just kind of a passion project side hustle piece of my DNA. So... After Me Too and and Time's Up really kind of took hold, we started looking around and saying, this is great that we are walking all of these monsters out the door, but what about the cultures they left behind? And what about the women's careers who lay in the wake of these guys? You know, we had women who left industries altogether, who soldiered on with little to show for it, or who were forced out or blacklisted because they came forward. And so Haverback originally was a mission at our last agency to ask our industry of marketers, PR people, you know, advertising to do better, do better for women. How are you going to create a company that they want to come back to? And then once they're there, how how are you going to have their back and help them thrive in their career? And so that was kind of everything that led up to Haverback becoming a real, a real company itself. And when you made that leap, I'd love for you to touch on like what was going through your head. Were you scared? All the, all oh, the, yeah. all the, tell me all the feels. Oh my God. There were so many feels. There were so many feels. We, what we realized was, and again, it was never the intention that this was going to be a business. This was like our passion project on top of our day job. But we started to get inbound requests from companies that were asking for the team working on Haverback to help them inside of their organization, help them with policy change, with the way they were marketing themselves externally, with the way that they were coming up with products and product development. And we all know that women are 51% of the population and and 85% of consumer buying power. So women needed to be centered in in everything. So we kind of looked at each other and said, is this a business? We think this is a business. And that started our wheels turning. And we actually then, and I'll tell you that story in a little bit, like, you know, got the investment that we needed. We know how hard that is. 
and launched. But that summer of going through the process of negotiating our, our deal and figuring out what this was, and again, leaving, you know, the three of us, Carolyn, Pamela, and I were leaving, quote unquote, comfortable corporate jobs that were theoretically a lot safer than becoming an entrepreneur. And between the three of us, we have six boys. So we are not 22-year-old guys living in Silicon Valley in like an apartment together eating pizza for all three meals. Like we have major responsibilities. So this was not an ideal time to launch a business. And um, I think that we were, we were resolute that we couldn't do anything else. And I think that's what ends up happening when entrepreneurship finds you is you realize this is it. This is my only option. But we were absolutely worried about this risk. And we had, you know, personally, I had family members and friends that were equally supportive and also really concerned. So you had to just kind of say, I believe in myself and I believe in what we're doing. And I have to stay the course and not, not waver from that, or I'm going to fall off this train. How long did you have to buckle in before you started seeing traction or clients? Like how long was that wait? Well, I think that it was probably a few months before we really had our first deal landed and signed on the on the dotted line and what we were doing you know post launch up until then was just building on our networks and contacting all of the people that had known us in our former lives and really believed in us and were thrilled with the work that we had done for them in one capacity or another. So we were really hustling. We were hustling a lot. We were traveling a lot. We were kind of road warriors. And we were trying to make sure that we were connecting not only with with potential clients, but also with other like-minded organizations, you know, like Rebecca Minkoff and Female Founder Collective and, and other orgs that are supportive of women and bringing them together. Because part of the reason we wanted to create this company was that we wanted to create a place where we had always wanted to work, but we never had a place that allowed us to be ourselves holistically, that it it acknowledged that we were working mothers. And that wasn't something that we should be dinged for that, like, again, understood this work-life integration. So we also wanted to be in connection with women that had started their own businesses as well and learn from the challenges they had and how they overcame them. And it was a hustle and it continues to be. I mean, you know that it never ends. Like, you know, I, I like laugh sometimes when I'm listening to the Superwoman podcast because it's so true that within 24 hours, you can have your highest high and your lowest low. And so when you have that high, you really have to say, okay, I'm going to live in this moment right now because who knows what the hell's around the corner. And that's, that's what owning your own business looks like. Oh my gosh. Yes. I literally feel like every day since COVID, it's the highest high and the lowest lows. Oh my God. Every day. Every day. So how have you guys adapted to this environment? Do you have anything that has worked that you feel like you can share as like just a great tip? Yeah. I think that you have to stay true to your mission and and what why you built that business in the first place that that can never waver but how you do that how you execute on that how you deliver whether it's a product or a service all of that needs to be up for debate so i think what we did is we looked at what was working pre covid and then we said what are the things that have changed our ability to continue on that trajectory and then how do we have to adapt So what was working before is that we were everywhere. We were 
showing up at events and conferences. And we were, you know, meeting in person with our clients so that we continued to get that FaceTime and have them understand our value. And then they would introduce us to another, you know, part of the organization, which then led to more business. So the FaceTime was a big piece of, of our business and we weren't having it anymore. So one of the things we knew is that at least for Carol and Pamela and I, as a, as a group, we had to still talk to each other every single day. So we still have like since day one of COVID and the only time we take time off is on the weekends is we have at least an hour FaceTime with each other talking about what's happening with the business, what our challenges are, what's going well, what lies ahead. So that was important. And then we also, you know, we created a newsletter that we started going out with because again, it was like another touch point that we needed to have it in our clients and our prospects inboxes so that they understood the way that we think and how we creatively tackle all of this. So, I mean, I guess I didn't really say what Haverback is, which is a good time now. And so, you know, we are a culture consultancy that works with brave companies to tackle equity for all differently and authentically. And I think that we all know how important diversity is. And if you don't know that, then you're living under a rock. But we all know how important it is. The problem in the past, at least in in the workforce, has been the, the way it's been prioritized. And also the fact that efforts just have not progressed us enough. It hasn't moved the needle enough. It hasn't really helped the lives of those women and people of color that have been disenfranchised in in so many ways. And so we knew that we needed to tackle this differently. And we needed to bring like a creative approach to problem solving and to to inspiring people to change their behavior for for DEI to really be able to thrive. I want to go into that because I feel like I, I talk obviously about the Female Founder Collective a lot, but, you know, the wage gap has not decreased in a meaningful way, you know, in a meaningful way. We still talk about it. I think I read uh, on Friday that 849,000 women have left the workforce since COVID. Yep. So here we are talking about it. You're doing work on it as your, as your career and passion. And I am too, but it's not getting better. And that's like, where do you see the leaps that need to occur to change this? Because for all the marching we've done, for all the whatever, it's not really changing. <laughs> right. I know. Like what in the hell, right? Mm-hmm. I think that I think that a year ago when the the research came out, Melinda Gates and it was like 208 years until we'll achieve gender equity. And I was like, "Oh, cool. Well, good luck future lifetime that I won't be around for." So I think that a couple of things need to happen. One is it cannot just be the job of those who are impacted by this negatively to solve this. So we need those that are in power. And a lot of times that's men and a hell of a lot of times that's that's white, straight men. We need them to also understand that not only is this the right thing to do to bring more women into positions of leadership in your organization, to pay them obviously what they deserve, and to bring them into the decisions for the business, it's not just the right thing, it's actually a business imperative. We don't need any more statistics to show us that if you have a diverse leadership team, you perform 40% better. So it's, it's not a matter of like, if this is right or wrong, I think what it is, is this change is tough. It's hard work. 
It's complicated. It's going to mean likely that some people are giving up their position. And that doesn't always feel good unless you're creating more roles. So it's going to take more than just those of us that are fighting for what we deserve. We need so much allyship here. And we need this to happen at the highest levels of corporations. We won't talk about the government because your podcast is not long enough, but we'll talk about like what we can do in corporate America. So that means that if we have, you know, more men named John than we do women in and in CEO roles in the Fortune 500, that's really a problem. And we cannot move at this crawling pace of incremental percentage points every single year. So it's going to mean a shift in power. We really need to shift the power to more women and more people of color and show how much that is going to benefit all of us. Do you think that sometimes we're talking into an echo chamber though? Because I feel like every time I'm talking, it's a room full of women or we phrase in such a way that we leave the men out. Yes. And (laughs) (laughs) listen, the reason why we get the room full of women together is because we freaking need the support, right? We, we need, we need each other to say like, okay, this is hard. This is exhausting, but I have your back. You have my back. We're here for each other. So the room full of women, I still think is important. I do agree though, that like we sometimes look around and go, well, yeah, no shit. We all believe this, right? So are we really, are we really having the conversation in the right way? So what I think has to happen after those conversations in those rooms is we need to go back to our lives, our personal and professional lives and have the conversation about what are the steps that you're going to take. I mean, we can use an example, you know, my husband, I would not have married my husband if he was not a supportive guy who believed in equality and was, you know, a feminist in many ways and, and just supportive in general, but he still is a straight white man. And so he has grown up and had a life that is very different than mine. And what he has been asked to do in the workplace also is very different. He passes. That's kind of how I like to say it. Like he passes and and doesn't doesn't have a lot of conflict in in a way that a woman or a person of color does. And then think about also just your daily life. If you ask a straight white man, and this is let's talk pre-COVID when we were actually out and about in the world and traveling and going, you know, experiencing lives and not just sitting in our homes, but ask a straight white man how many times today did you worry about your safety? And he will ask you to repeat the question because he doesn't understand it. Because more often than not, they never have worried about their safety. Ask a woman and she will not hesitate and say, oh, I was 42 today, right? Because again, like if you are a person of color or if you are a woman, the way you walk through the world is different. The way you are received, the biases that are against you, the the criticism and the discrimination that comes with that it's really, it's a lot more work for us. And so it's so important, obviously, to have those rooms of women that you can lean on. But you also need to have those conversations with the people in your personal and professional lives, like for me, Brian, to say, okay, how are you going to start doing things differently in your job? How are you going to make sure that when you are responsible for hiring the next four people that you really do a good job at bringing in diverse candidates? And And also, how are you going to talk to your employees in a way that understands that we are all, you know, so many of us are parents right now at home navigating this pandemic. 40% of the workforce has a kid at home. So this is something that everyone is dealing with. So it's, 
you're right that like, it feels like an echo chamber sometimes. And so that is honestly why we started have her back because we wanted to stop being able to have incremental drive incremental change and instead wanted to work with the biggest brands and companies in the world to drive that change. If we can get a huge organization to make significant commitments and take action to change the system, to break down the current system that again is stacked against so many and is built on in so many ways, systemic racism and discrimination and you know gender discrimination, then we start to see the ripple effect. So, so that's how we're doing it. So what would you tell women? You know, I think that sometimes women can take the victim mentality too easily. Um, and then, and then you have women who are like, screw it. I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going to fight against this. I'm not going to say, look what happened to me over and over again. So what do you tell women to be on the side of the, I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be my, my own company's Rosa Parks or, or RGP, you know, instead of taking this, I guess I'm a fact. And so it happened to me. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a big leap to make because, you know, once you put yourself out there, you hear from everyone (laughs) how they feel about it. So, so what I would say is if this is, if this is happening to you and if it's, and if it's not, then please call me. I'd like to understand if you're a woman, how you aren't facing this stuff because it's happening to all of us. So, so if this is happening to you, then it's happening to everyone around you. And if all of us sit and wait for one, for another person to take care of it, we're going to be waiting for a long time. Like there is this notion that as one person, you can't make a difference. You can't change enough. But but when we look at all of the biggest movements in history and all of the biggest you know, companies and organizations that have actually affected change, it starts with one person. It starts with one idea that then builds that momentum and builds that cohort and builds that, that you know, camaraderie and motivation. And then it leads to something else. And so I think what I would say is you are your best advocate and you are the only one in the world that knows completely and totally what you need and want. And so why would you put that in someone else's hands? It, it is up to you to decide what the future is going to look like, not only for yourself, but for those around you and for the next generation. And so we all have a role to play and it, and the roles look very different and that's okay. Some, some roles may look bigger or harder, but they all matter and they all add up. And so we all have to take steps every single day to move this in the right direction. I love that. That's great. So what would you say has been a piece of advice that you feel like you could pass on, whether it was hard one or someone gave to you? Yeah, I, I think the one that I've, it's, it's probably hard one is stay out of the comments. And, and I mean that literally and figuratively, because it's sort of the question that you just asked, Rebecca, if you put yourself out there and you say what you believe and you stand for something, you are going to get feedback from people that you didn't ask for it from. And you're going to have people on both sides. It may not be an equal split, but you're going to have those that say, hell yes, I support you. What can I do? This is amazing. Let's do this together. And then you're going to have those that say, I don't really think this is your place. Um, This isn't your job. I don't agree with you. And so if you let yourself listen to that, you could be derailed every single day from doing the right thing. And think about like, if you, even if you put a post up, like like if you do a LinkedIn post or you're like in an article, oh my God, do not read the comments, right? You have like 
amazing people that are supportive, and then you have trolls. And if you get caught up in those comments, those negative comments, you will completely unravel in the confidence that you had going into that decision you made. So make the decision because you believe in it and you think that you are the right person for for that voice and that job and just stay away from the comments. That's really important because I feel like the trolls are there. They're unhappy, miserable people in their mother's basements and man, yep. they can change your mood or make you second guess yourself. I mean, I, I feel very grateful that I don't really have a lot of trolls, but whenever I'm doing an Instagram live with someone that has a large following, I see the trolls come out and I'm like, Oh my God, this person has to live with this daily. Like, Oh my gosh. And that's I know. Terrible for their mental health. You know, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And like, again, the reason why they're coming out is really because they're jealous. They're jealous that you had the conviction to say it and to stand up. And they also were probably a little afraid because they wish that they, they had that same bravery and courage. And so you just have to sort of see it as like, delete, delete, like not paying attention to you. You're not worth my time. I'm going to focus on the people that have my back. I love that. So where can people find out about Have Her Back and all the good stuff? Where are you contactable, et cetera? Yes. So we are at haveherback.com and all of our social handles are at haveherback. So you can find us there. And then, you know, you can find me personally, Erin Go Gallagher. I think that's all of my social handles. And you can always reach out to me, Erin at haveherback.com if you want to send me an email and talk about anything. Awesome. One thing I do want to say is every time I've met you, you've been so incredibly positive even though challenges abound, where, where does that mindset come from? And do you scream into a pillow every once in a while? (laughs) (laughs) I scream into a pillow multiple times a day, which is why I have so many of them. You know, Rebecca, I am, I think one of my, I I don't know if it's a strength or a fault. I am just so like 100% authentically who I am. So absolutely, you uh, you have seen me in a lot of those moments, and and probably it's because when I'm when I'm around you, there's lots of really positive stuff happening, and it's like you're feeling like, okay, we can do this. I'm feeling motivated and supported, but I'm also equally out there about the hard shit, right? And I have a four year old and a two year old in a global pandemic, and six months into starting a business, this pandemic hit. And so it is really difficult and it's, and it's so hard and it's hard to stay motivated. And I think it is important to talk about that as well. It doesn't make you weak to say, I'm having a hard time and I need help. That's actually one of the greatest strengths is to be able to identify where you need that additional support from. So I think my positivity when I have it is like, it's also a pep talk for myself, right? If I say this out loud, then I'm feeling like, okay, we got this. But I, I absolutely am also, you know, watching Dead to Me like four times over, drinking a bottle of wine and like swearing a lot at home. So, you know, it uh, goes both ways. Totally. I've really worked extraordinarily hard on taking my stress and not aiming it at my children, which has not been easy. <laughs> it's not. But I'm like, okay, I didn't yell at them today. That, that was a good day, you know? That takes a lot, okay? And like give yourself a lot of credit because they are amazing and adorable and super annoying like a lot of the time, right? And that's the other thing about motherhood is this notion that it's beautiful and perfect and and like a gift all the time. And it's it's not. 
it is those things, but it's also incredibly exhausting. And, you know, I know you have three, I have two. They're on us. They need so much from us. And we are running on fumes. So if you didn't yell at them, girl, you are winning in like 10 ways. I mean, that was just yesterday. So (laughs) (laughs) it's not, not, I'm going one day at a time. That's fine. Well, it was great to have you on. Thank you so much. And um, I think these tips are really helpful. I'm definitely going to stay out of the comments for sure. Stay out of them. But but stay, stay with the people who think that you're amazing, which is me. So keep doing what you're doing.